Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Gooden, Pastor Brett Bowe, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 25 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Whatever your vocation, start here. Go anywhere grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right. Uh, we are on our part two of uh, looking at Article 25 of the Augsburg Confession and its apology. I think I missed that last yeah, time. Yeah, you didn't do that, and I missed yeah, it too. and you missed it. Uh, we're talking about confessions, so we'll, we'll pick up our conversation uh, from, from last time. That's too Catholic. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> you know, I, I almost said last time, that's like one of your favorite whipping boys. The that's too yeah, Catholic. that's too well, Catholic. You know, we touched on it without a, really addressing it. Yeah. The whole idea that it's how we practice versus the beliefs behind the practice, it's, it's the classic boogeyman of American Christianity. As long as we have the appearance of what we re- reject, then that's to be yeah. avoided. And, and, you know, the real whipping boy behind this is how often American Christianity devolves into what was rejected by the Reformation, that Roman Catholic theology of a a subtle and quasi-works righteousness yeah. and that hierarchical model of authority, yeah. all of that, that's the Roman Catholic stuff that the Reformers were responding against. It wasn't the smells and bells. Yep. Although the smells and bells eventually get condemned because uh, they end up detracting from Jesus, and and that's fine, but Luther never got rid of the liturgy. He he never got rid of the the robes and vestments. That was always the second generation reformers, and so the whole well that's too Catholic thing. Th- that's not what we're avoiding. We're avoiding doctrine that detracts yep. from Christ. It's interesting you bring that up. I think you know when you think of the the generic American church, right? Or generic American evangelicalism today and the Catholic church, your point that they have a lot of similar tendencies that trend toward uh, behavior, works, righteousness, appearances, that sort of thing reminds me of the, I don't know who, who brought this up to me initially, but the idea of a spectrum, we oftentimes think of a spectrum as a line, right? And, and if, if it was a line, you could see, you know, Roman Catholicism of 1516 on one end and uh, generic American evangelicalism on the other end. Yeah, except but, it's a flat circle. But <laughs> that's a circle, but then we're looking at a circle. Whoops. What just happened? I just knocked something over. A full circle, right? And, and if you look at, they meet on the backside. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's kind of like fascism and communism. I was say fascism and communism. Yeah. They're really like they're the, they're the same thing. Here you go with the, the you communists. You are obsessed yeah. with communists. Right. Yes, <laughs> Kim Jong Un and my friend uh, Adolf Hitler have a lot in common. Yeah. No. And, and, and truthfully, that there's some some truth to that. And, and I think problem the problem I have with saying that's too Catholic is you're assuming that everything is just appearances. Like, I want to wear a collar because it makes me look important. 
what? No, I mean, that's not really the point of the, of the collar. It's, it's demonstrating an office, right? Or why are we confessing our sins to one another? Is that because we want to somehow make sure that our, you know, we're going through the works and, and the priest can tell me what to do? No, we're doing it for a completely different reason. Let's look at the heart of why we're doing those things. A lot of the things that we reject from things like Catholicism, um, a lot of things that we rejected had a reason for them. There's a purpose. Why do we have the, you know, the various church you know calendar things why do we have the the liturgy what are they all for do they have a meaning the answer is yes yes they absolutely do have a meaning and in describing that meeting that meaning you're catechizing you're mm-hmm. you're teaching the faith yeah. you're highlighting how the gospel permeates every area of our christian lives and that's the important thing with this whole thing that the the roman catholics and the american evangelicals have been backing away from each other for so long they bumped into each other and turned around <laughs> and shook hands nice <laughs> that, that's kind of what's going on with that but can, the, can you guys think of any examples of evangelicals doing something that they're trying not to be Catholic, and yet they, the theology actually is more close to Catholicism than, than not. The evangelical sacramental system. Yeah, yeah. Communicating, uh, well, really generically, and this will be a little bit more fair than what I was going to say. The starting point is the idea of super Christians is Roman Catholic. And so the assemblies of God in speaking in tongues, that there are super sanctified Christians based on what they do. Now, when I say the evangelical sacramental system, I'm not talking about Lord's Supper and communion. The Roman Catholics had that too. But in the evangelical system, beyond that, you have holy, pious things that you do to demonstrate how good you are as a Christian. There's the missions trip. There's the altar call. There's you know, all of those things uh, that are done to measure the authenticity of your commitment to Christ. Hmm. It's an entirely Roman Catholic system. And interestingly, the Catholics don't, but uh, at least to the best of my knowledge, but the evangelical church believers baptist baptism is that yeah baptism uh, sure. is yeah. is as i understand it a work of faith they would never say it's to get saved you know they're not working to get saved but they would call it a work of faith a demonstration yep. of one's commitment to christ and and that's the biggest issue that i see between how, how do you explain infant, infant baptism or why we would believe in baptismal regeneration uh, as lutherans a big part of that is well is it god doing the work or is it me doing the work. And I think when we ask that question of, of confession, right, is, is this as a pastor, is this God doing the work or me doing the work? As a confessing person, as a, as a penitent believer, am I doing the work or is, am I coming to God with, with empty hands and saying, look at how broken I am. And Help it, me fix this. I, I would say if you take the historic threads of generic American Christianity and Roman Catholicism and uh, Lutheranism, what you have here is a common confession that God does the work. But Lutherans stop there. And the Roman Catholics in the American evangelicals will say, now it's up to us to prove it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think mm. that works as a, a general summary because uh, generic American Christianity is obsessed yeah. 
with proving the authenticity of their faith. And authentic is a word that's thrown around like a preposition in American <laughs> Christianity. We want real, authentic thing. And it's, you know, you, you do all of these things as artificial constructs of what already exists, which was Luther's argument against the formality of everything, right? It wasn't in the formality itself. It was that it's adding a layer to what Christ has already given us freely. And so, yeah, again, if there was a bookstore, I know they don't exist anymore, but a bestseller on a generic Christian bookshelf, uh, you would have an 80 to 85% chance of the author talking about, in some way, shape, or form, creating community. Hmm. And, and there are very few phrases in generic American Christianity that I have more distaste for than the idea of creating community. The Lutheran response to creating community is, we have a congregation. We already have the community. We're, we're not trying to take an artificial segment of the congregation and make it more spiritual. But that's almost always what creating community ends up being. Now, it's under the guise of being welcoming and, and generating involvement. You know, that's the generic guise. But what it ends up being is we want uh, the cell of super pious people. And, and how, do we get, how do we cultivate that? Mm-hmm. And, and this is where the, the shift is from the Roman Catholic confession and absolution system to a biblical system of confession and absolution is that there's always that prove it aspect. And so the Romans mm. have tacked on yeah. satisfaction and penance to confessing the sins. The gospel is always dangled. It's never applied. Yeah. I think we, we tend to see this too. And we're talking right now as we're, as we're discussing this, we're talking about the 21st century American church, but you realize that a very similar thing was happening even very shortly post reformation with the Calvinist, right? To, to, prove one's calling an election. Many looked at that as, as the, the work ethic, you know, that work ethic during the yeah, industrial revolution, etc. Yeah. All of that was done because, oh, I need to make my calling an election. Sure. I need to show that I, you know, and so that, that work and that effort was done to like, okay, now I'm, I can be confident that I'm, I'm really in there. And the answer to that, of course, is Lutheran vocation, but the, uh, the whole picture of, yeah, just the whole picture of, of the, the Calvinist thing. It was going on then too. You know, the, the, the swinging of the pendulum, you know, coming around full circle, meeting on the backside and shaking hands or whatever. It was, yeah. it was there. It was there then. And it's yeah. human nature to do that. Yeah. Well, the reality of it is all of this stuff in, in, well, let's pause here. We believe Calvinists are Christians. Yep. We believe Roman Catholics are Christians insofar as they believe that Christ's death pays for their sins. Right. But what well, all this stems from adding something to the declarative and performative word of God. Hmm. Yeah. That's what it all stems yep. from. If you look at the power of confession and absolution, it comes from Christ speaking the absolution and it happening. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so Lutherans come along, you're forgiven. Well, how do I know? Because Christ said it. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, let there be light. There's light. Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Yeah. We can't do anything about that. When, when people ask me, uh, uh, you're forgiven, I've said that to people and they said, well, how do you know? And I said, 
when Jesus said it's finished, do you think he was kidding? Yeah. <laughs> was, was yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, good word. But yep. our assessment of all of the other traditions yeah. out there is that you take that reality and you add to it. And as soon as you add to it, you start to, in your mind, not in actuality, but in your mind, you start to dull the effect of the declarative and performative will of God, the word of God. Mm -hmm. Word of God. Yeah. That's the heart of it, right? That's exactly the heart of this. Because I agree. You know, when we talk about Catholics like I have in this and Calvinists and general, you know, generic evangelical Christians in the 21st century, we're building whipping boys. We're building uh, straw men, really, arguments. Lutherans do the same thing. Thing. We all have to be careful of that. Yeah. Yeah. We all oh, have yeah. to be careful of, of taking something that God has said, declared and promised, and turning it into something now that I have to somehow figure out on my own. We're all guilty of it. But Well, we're all guilty because that's the, the thing of the sinful nature. We immediately add to the word of God. Adam and Eve did it, and every sinner since then has been doing it. It explains not only the difference between confession and absolution, now there's satisfaction, or uh, I just have to know in my heart that God forgives me because I can't hear it from someone else or what it explains the difference between I need uh, to forgive myself. I, yeah, I exactly. I, yep, I got to yep. learn to, Oh my word. Uh, 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 it explains the difference between communion. Mm-hmm. You look on the Roman Catholic side of communion, and now we're not talking with Jesus saying, this is my body, this is my blood. We're dealing with the actual, physical, tangibly present, real body and blood of Jesus to the point that we can't give it to the laity. Mm-hmm. Or Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. Of course, that only means represent. And we've added a layer to the word of God. We don't let the mystery stand. Yeah. And how can Christ forgive my sins? Because he said he does, because he said it's for, it is finished. And when we play it fast and loose with not only what the word of God says, but what the word of God does, we're going to screw this up every single time. And in all honesty, I find myself, and this is, this is a great segue because it could be my own confession, confessional on a podcast <laughs> to you two gentlemen. But, but truthfully, uh, yeah. I do the same thing. I, I find sure. myself having to remind myself day in and day out that I don't have to perform, hmm. that I don't get to add layers to God's word, that I simply get to take him at his word. And it's easy for me as a pastor to see it when other people come to me like that and say, well, how do you know? Because God wasn't kidding when he sent, you know, when yeah. he sent his son to die for you. He wasn't joking when Jesus said, you know, it is finished. I can say that to another person, but you know what? I find myself doing the same thing. Yeah, don't that's we? right. That one. I have, in 11 years as a pastor at my church in South Minneapolis, of those 11 years, only two years have I not had a seminarian attending my congregation. So I have this constant stream of seminarians, and we have these conversations, and time, time and time again, they come up and ask, what's the hardest part about being a pastor? You know, as people are preparing for it, they want to know, you know, being a pastor is tough work. It's hard. It's exhausting. My answer has never once changed. It's learning to hear the gospel from your own lips. Hmm. Yep, that's you know, right. And it's the way yeah. I act when I am convicted by sin is the same thing I'm fighting against in people under my care as they come to me as a pastor. And I commit the same errors. I do the same dumb stuff. Uh, my immediate response when I become convicted of sin is to try to do something good so I feel better about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it cancels it out. But it's the reality, which brings you can, up... You can give me a call to do the yeah, well, that's the thing. absolution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can urge yeah. all we want uh, individual Christians to go to private confession and absolution, but we need to model it. We need to be yep. doing this yep. ourselves. And yeah, I think the first good. thing pastors neglect is to hear the forgiveness of sins from someone else. Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I, you know, I think that's that's a good word for you know pastors that are listening to this uh, to have. You know, we need to be shepherded too, and and uh, have opportunities to confess our sins to one another and to hear the words of absolution or gospel uh, directly applied to us. I have a question. Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking about this. We've been talking about how this is not really the theological side. That's Article 11. Yep. Uh, yep. We're talking more about the practice Practical. side. Yep. What does it actually look like for our, our listeners who maybe have never you know, been Catholic or maybe have never gone to a, cause I think they go to confession, right? They have a very formed, uh, formal yeah, ritual. Father, what, forgive me. Yeah. It's been yeah, so yeah. long, so long. <laughs> and then they confess the specific yeah. sins. And, and then uh, and I think we'll get to this in a little bit, right? About the satisfaction that needs to be made afterwards, right? You know, at the end of, of confession. And that was a thing that the reformers were pushing against, but specifically when a parishioner comes to you, Jason, uh-huh. and says, you know, I would like to do private confession absolution. What does that form look like for you? Uh, Concordia Publishing House has released in several different publications a simple order for confession and absolution. If you have uh, the Treasury of Daily Prayer, it's in there. I also believe it's in the Lutheran Service Book, the Missouri Synod Hymnal. Uh, If you have the app Pray Now, I think it's somewhere in the Pray Now app. Otherwise, uh, there's an app for the the book is called the Pastoral Care Companion. Yep. And yep. um the the app, let me pull up on my phone here. I think it's called Pastoral Care. That's what I use. Yeah. So it's it's called the Pastoral Care app. And you can buy it um and they won't make you show proof of ordination if you get it. But right in right at the beginning of that, there's an individual confession and absolution. So someone comes to me as pastor, they follow this order, and I follow this order, not because it's magic, but because it simplifies and orders things. Yeah. Okay. And so they start off by saying, pastor, please hear my confession and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will. And the pastor responds with, proceed. And then there's a general confession of sins. It goes like this. I, a poor sinner, plead guilty before God of all sins. I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. My Lord's name I have not honored as I should. My worship and prayers have faltered. I have not let his love have its way with me, and so my love for others has failed. There are those whom I have hurt and those whom I have failed to help. My thoughts and desires have been soiled with sin. That's your general confession of sin. At this point, Luther's argument is if anything is on your conscience— confess those sins directly and individually. However, if there is nothing burdening your conscience, one, you should still go to confession and absolution regularly, but two, let your general confession of sins stand. The point isn't to produce as thorough of a confession right. as yep. you can. The kind point like Luther with Staupitz. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The point is to repent so that you can hear the gospel. And so uh, there, there's instructions about if you are particularly troubled and you say, what troubles me particularly is that I thought mean thoughts of White Sox fans last <laughs> week <laughs> okay. uh, when they almost no hit the twins. <laughs> yes. Oh, so close. So whatever it is that you end your confession with, I'm sorry for all this and I ask for grace. I want to do better. The pastor responds, God be merciful to you and strengthen your faith. Amen. Yeah. Then he says, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? That's important, right? My forgiveness is God's forgiveness. If, if I think I, that's the key there. Yeah, and yep. if if yep. I uh, if I am doing this with someone who's less catechized or less familiar with more historic 
versions of Christianity, I will say, do you believe that the forgiveness I offer you today comes from God himself? Mm -hmm. I'll I'll just qualify that a little bit. I think it dulls it a little bit, but not as much. But do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes. Let it be done for you as you believe. And then there's, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And then there's place in this order of service to give gospel promises or to talk about ways, you know, if you're trying to break a habitual sin or whatever, Mm -hmm. what I always end it with is the Bible says, or God himself says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You now have confessed. And so now by the promise and work of God, your sins have been forgiven. Go in peace. That's what the order looks like. Sure. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. Thanks for sharing that. At what point though, do you add, at what point do you tell them, the things that they need to do to oh, make things right. Oh, the 50 Hail Marys. Uh. Or, that's the... Di- so yeah. um, the Lutheran answer to forgiveness, it is confession absolution. The Roman Catholic, uh, at least as far as at the time of the Reformation was concerned, is that forgiveness involves confession, absolution, and satisfaction. And I think in practice, you would have to invert the last two. It would be confession, then satisfaction, and then absolution where you get the comfort of the forgiveness of sins after once you've, you've done the work after you've done the work and so hmm. there you you get into this entire unnecessary theology of venial sins versus mortal sins right. where Luther taught all sins are mortal sins because they destroy our fellowship with God and so for a small sins uh, you might have to say 50 hail marys uh, for bigger sins uh, you know, you, you got to look for an indulgence. And, and we've talked in the past about the idea of indulgences versus plenary indulgences and uh, the Jubilee year and all of those things. Uh, absolution in gospel terminology comes without any law because Christ has finished. It, it doesn't come with, you are forgiven when you do this or when you complete this because that makes Jesus into a liar when he said it is finished, Mm -hmm. the price for your sins has been paid by the shed blood of Christ as he hung in your place on the cross, your sins and the devil and the consequence of your sin, death have been conquered in Jesus resurrection. There is no more beyond that. And no condemnation. No condemnation. There is now, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the best gospel promises in all of the Bible. Well, that was the, that was the verse that got me Hmm. when I was a student here and I was really wrestling with this, you know, having to perform, having to, you know, follow the, the works of, you know, the law to get me to a point where, where God would even hear my prayer. Uh, It was that very phrase, you know. There is that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, mm, which awesome. gave me which gave me comfort, which gave me peace. It's it's interesting, and I think such a cheap, uh, uh, just a, a dirty way of of marring that promise when we say, you know, if you just pray ten times, you know, just recite this rote prayer ten times, and that that'll really that, then God will be satisfied, and and it's to stealing so 
egregiously from the finished work of Christ and the comfort that it brings. It's like, how can, how can the savior of the world, the son of God dying on a cross, uh, be somehow not enough, but my, my prayers, if I could just quick recite the Lord's prayer every day for the rest of my life, you know, and that's one, actually a person came to me and said, my, my priest told me my, my, my mom will be okay. If I pray this prayer every day for the rest mm, of my life, wow. yeah, how, how, how does my reciting the Lord's prayer every day for the rest of my life out, outdo Jesus? Well, and can you imagine the burden that that individual has? You know, we've all had bad days. There, there are days that have been so miserable, I don't even remember the content of the day. You're just trying to survive. Or, or even like accidental unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you think of all the weird scenarios where that guy would be utterly destroyed. Yeah. The, the thing I think of always with the Hail Marys or, or <laughs> the rosary or, or yeah. whatever is, and, and it's been well over a decade and a half since I was regularly watching The Simpsons. So I don't know if this is no longer the case, but every Simpsons episode used to start with Bart writing some ridiculous, I will not do this <laughs> yeah. on yeah, the chalkboard, yep, yeah. right? The thing about that is, one, Bart was never sorry, and two, he never changed, yeah, uh. <laughs> Pre- pretending that these activities somehow change our nature is ridiculous. When instead we can say, "Christ has filled this for you. Rest in peace." <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. be, be comforted in that peace. And it, that's the thing that always gets me when it comes to penance, and and especially the ridiculousness of the the, the tiny little penances that that come with venial sins. Mm-hmm. Well, and we maybe should wrap up this episode. Uh, great stuff. Um, yeah, thanks for fleshing this out. And uh, any closing comments as we uh, land the plane here? I think we're good. Good. All right. Well, catch us next time for our Old Testament episode. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Listeners are invited to join our Fall Spotlight Conference at the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. It's happening October 9th and 10th. Guests will learn from Megan Ullman of Life Training Institute how to defend a pro-life view persuasively and graciously as we all navigate a post-Roe world. Registration and live stream information are available at flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.